As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. come down a little bit a little more conversational um you know it, it, i think sort of he comes across as the guy that you you know you would want to go have a a whiskey with um and would be totally normal but uh it was it was pretty enlightening some good college football playoff talks some recruiting talk team stuff um and sort of his his legacy at notre dame i guess what was what was most interesting to you from that yeah, these experiences are few and far between, as me and you both know, from covering pretty much his entire tenure. Yep. Uh, but he it, it humanizes him. He's much yes. more of a human in these elements, and anyone who read Pete's story can see that for themselves. Um, it, in some ways, it, I was pleasantly surprised that when you read that and you read his answers to your questions, a lot of them were like things that anyone, me, you, fans, message boards, had been saying or clamoring for for a long time. It was almost like he was playing the greatest hits to the crowd as far as we got to recruit better. We got to do this. We got to do that. Um, and it, you know, he, I wouldn't say he punted on the legacy question. He, um, he, he, he deferred to Rockney as I think anyone in that position would do, um, when given the chance, but, uh, he, he definitely let his guard down, especially at the end when he started calling out programs by name, which we can get to as well. But, um, I thought it was a very enlightening conversation. Yeah. It's like the, the sort of Rockney thing is interesting, and like it's one of those things where you, if you asked him that in a press conference in September, he would like not even acknowledge, like he would acknowledge the question, but would not give you a sort of insightful um, or sort of reflective answer. That's like sort of one of those 
journalism things to do in the summer. The farther away from me, the more sort of like honesty and authenticity you can get. So I thought, I mean, that was kind of interesting. And then I, you know, I, I am interested. We, we've talked about this before. He's, he's sort of a, I told him this. I was like, I don't know if you're a public private person or a private public person, but like b- the building of a house really one block from the gates of campus um, to re- it's kind of a permanent connection to Notre Dame um, at a time when, you know, he's probably three, four years to go. I, I mean, I thought that was kind of interesting that he sort of sees a connection to Notre Dame probably beyond when he's coaching here, which if you look at the, the coaches that I've covered, at least here, there is no relationship with Notre Dame beyond the times that they leave. So Brian Kelly will leave under much different terms um, than every other coach, maybe going back to era Parsegian. Um, so, but I thought that was sort of interesting that he's, he is, sees himself as like linked to this place in a, in kind of a permanent sense within an industry where nothing is permanent. It's funny reading that and hearing you say that because obviously he's defied the laws of pretty much everything when it comes to Notre Dame coaches as far as how long he's been here, how he's been able to reinvent himself and all the success he's had in his later years of his Notre Dame tenure. But I sat down with him for a one-on-one. It was training camp of 2016, a year we'd all like to forget. But <laughs> Was that the he, last one-on-one you had with him? Uh, for good reason, no, perhaps. My last one at ESPN, but no. Um, he but it was before the season, and he had a similar viewpoint to what you said. And at that point, what was that, year seven? He had just gotten an extension after the 2015 yep. season. They had a good year. We're like, I remember it was. we ran it. <laughs> Again, not to go down too bad memory lane, we ran on the homepage of ESPN.com the day of the Texas opener that year, saying it was Brian Kelly and Notre Dame Lifer. And they went 4-8 and eight that year, and everyone thought he was going to get fired. So that kind of backfired. But we sat down, and it was a similar theme as far as just like, wow, like, you know, everyone thought you were more going to last year this long. You've had all the success, yada, yada, yada. And he said something to the effect of, you know, that's why I'm really glad we have that lake house in Michigan. Like, my family will always have a home here. We'll always have that connection. Mm-hmm. Like, this will always be a special place to us no matter what happens. And it's funny like your answer, his answer to you with that is almost that answer on steroids because it's not like thirty minutes away in Michigan over the border no. now. It's a block away from his office. Like no, like this really is home for him, um, and it's crazy that it's gone that way in that small five year span, given all that's happened, good and bad since then. So um, it continues to just surprise in every way, shape, and form. Like no one from 2012 or before would have thought like we'd still be talking about this. No, um, no. Brian being here. I mean, I thought it was, uh, I think will lead me down to the path to some, another story is the, because I think when we talk about alignment and he mentioned that with a story they did with Pete Thamel um, earlier this year. And, you know, it was in reference to father John, the university president, Jack Swarbrick, um, and so I, I phrased it that way, and he was pretty quick to be like, no, it's it's got to be admissions. It's got to be provost. It's got to be housing. Like, the alignment aspect of it is uh, not just up. It's, like, across at Notre Dame. And he said, you know, that this is how you – because what I wanted to understand was, like, how do you essentially defy the laws of being the Notre Dame head coach where at a place that can just chew you up even when you're winning – 
Uh, and he said, you know, that that's the stuff where you're not fighting a battle on every front every day. Um, I think he used the term like a thousand paper cuts. Um, you know, he doesn't have that anymore. I think that's that's sort of how he seems to be defying the laws of aging um, <clears throat> as Notre Dame's head coach. It's funny. I spoke to Jack Swarbrick mm, earlier this offseason, more than a month ago, um, but recent enough. And I had asked him something similar like, how does Brian Kelly, how does he not let this job eat him up? I'll just read the answer verbatim here because I thought it was a good one. And it was in line in keeping with what Brian Kelly told you. He said, quote, beyond being a very good football coach, I think he has a personality that's meant for this environment. For a lot of our very successful coaches in the past, the environment ate them alive. And Brian's just always had a great balance to him. Great perspective and ability to separate out what really matters from what doesn't. The discipline to maintain some personal space. He's got a healthier approach to the job than I could hardly imagine anyone else having. It starts with being a great football coach, right? You don't survive without that. But Arrow was a great football coach, and the job ate him up. Leahy was a great football coach, and the job ate him up too. Lou was a great football coach, and Lou talks about this in a sort of way it ate him up. And Brian just has a personality built not to let that happen, end quote. And that, I mean, he just named other than Rockney, who he didn't deal with. He named every coach who has a statue out there. Yep. Um, And how all of them eventually succumb to what Brian Kelly has yet to succumb to. I mean, there's probably another interesting topic here, right? Like, do you have to succumb to that to win a national championship? Like, do you I have to? I don't think so. It's, I don't know. I mean, do you have to be so maniacal that you burn yourself to the ground to win a national championship? I don't know the answer to that. Um, you would, I mean, I'm not saying that can't, yeah. like... You'd like to think... Notre Dame takes that next step, right. O'Brien... Right. You, but I'm, you would like to Kansas think... Kansas State doesn't blow it in 2012. Yeah, that's, a, that's like we're talking the best about. point, probably. You know, they, they have been close before. Um, but, you know, it, it was... I think that, you know, maybe that sort of gets into the recruiting aspect of it at the end of the Q&A a little bit, because he... he Again, it's not the first time uh, where he said, you know, like, hey, I that's I needed to do more, um, and like we needed the recruiting operation to sort of be on the details more. Um, you know, talking to people in the building, I get the sense that that is the case that that's happening. Um, you know, I was sort of curious, like, what the more is, like, what those details are, and he that's when he sort of threw some shade at Oklahoma and the race cars on the on the 50 yard line or i think it was actually the goal line but um that's neither here nor there it and leaning more and more into uh the idea that you know the distinctions are well maybe cast as weaknesses by other programs are actually strengths that's not really a new i think a, approach but maybe getting into that more um and then you know i, I Talking to people in the building, it, it does sound like there's much. There are some details that are being uh, hit now, where you know that when prospects come in, they have somebody assigned to their family from start to finish. There's there's not downtime in these visits, so um, you know you know you know the prospects, uh, siblings' names and ages. Um, you know just the, that kind of stuff that attention to detail i don't know if that is what's going to make a difference in the in the end but there you know i i also talked to marcus freeman a little bit yesterday for another story and sort of about his recruiting philosophy and it's to to get to know these kids as as deeply as humanly possible um and i do i wonder if that will ultimately make the difference with some of uh, some of the guys that are still on the board 
if you were to take like one, if you were to aggregate this and have one quote, as the bloggers out there like to do, the one that stood out to me was your question. You just finished on Press Ed Recruiting Month. What was the charge and what did success look like? And his first sentence there was, we want to be in the top five and how to get it to break through. The, the fact that he addressed that top five comment head on and then went from there. Because we've had a number of discussions on this show about he mentioned that at the end of 2019 and it kind of came out of left field. And what's it going to look like? Oh, no, the world's falling apart. They're not going to get to recruit like a normal program. No one is in 2020. He's getting killed for recruiting mm-hmm. in the media and by fans. Does he regret ever saying that? And clearly he doesn't because yeah. he just he volunteered that one to you. I thought that, I mean, the top five, I thought that he would hedge a little bit on it. Um, yeah. Just because, like, I mean, I've gone over the math and many stories that like the math of actually making the top five, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's close. It is close to impossible. Um, cause it, you are required to sign two five-star prospects. Um, I think only one school in the last five years has signed a top five class with only one and Notre Dame is at zero and I, it's unlikely that they will get one. There's, it's a possibility with Zach Rice, the five-star tackle from Virginia, but that's sort of it right now. Um, so, and I guess it's, you know, top five, if they finish sixth or seventh, would they be disappointed? Uh, no, absolutely not, because that means Nicholas Singleton, Tobias Merriweather, C.J. Williams, I mean, Jalen Sneed, they, they really would have almost run the table with the guys on the board. So, it, I think it just, it's kind of one of those, it's an aspirational goal, right? Like, we're pushing to be top five. That's what the, what the message you have to give to your staff, and if they finish seventh, that's still better than 12th Um, because like he said top five and then reference like you know we've sort of been in this 10 to 15 rut Um, the difference between finishing 10th and 7th is like two top 100 players Um, that's a that's a big deal that's the difference between like making the playoff and winning a playoff game in some years yeah I mean it's like it could be the difference between like having to take a grad transfer to fill out your roster and having a a first round pick Um, yeah that's if it, if it's at the right position, that's a huge deal. And I mean, that was, I don't know. I don't think he said this explicitly, but it was implied like that the recruiting at the offensive skill positions has to be a lot better receiver in particular. Um, and, you know, if that's where one of those top hundred guys falls, then that potentially changes your programs. He's like, he used the term game changers and how Notre Dame sort of has lacked them at the outside positions. I think he's, spot on about it um that's that's where they need to get better and if they are then then i think they have the chance to not sort of be beaten up in the playoff by an alabama or clemson at full strength the way that they have been not the first time he said this but but still very noteworthy i mean not calling out but mentioning joe wilkins and Braden lindsey by name like Wilkins and Lindsay need to have breakout seasons. If they don't have breakout seasons, we have to rely on inexperienced players to really contribute at a high level, and that's not what you want to be doing going into a season like this. He said similar during the spring press conferences, but um, to put a, like a, a finer point on it, again, addressing it head-on, which I think we all appreciate the candidness and transparency there, but it it's kind of the elephant of the room, right, going into the season. like They didn't really have that because Chronic was good, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have that. They had no one who would be starting for Alabama or Clemson, put it that way, mm-hmm. at, at receiver. 
and they have even less known commodities in that room going into this year. How does that change? Um, the Jordan John situation, whatever it may be, didn't help with that narrative, whether that's fair or not. Um, but, but certainly that's a place they need to recruit better at, and it's a place where they need players to be more ready at before just their senior years when some of these guys break out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One thing with Braden Lindsay in particular, uh, talking to Tommy Reese a little bit yesterday, he felt cautiously optimistic about where that is. Like that, he, you're seeing a maturity from Lindsay since he got back uh, from summer break. I think he did an internship. Like that is just different. Um, and he he referenced sort of like we saw this from Lawrence Keys in January, which is why he had a great spring. Now we're seeing it from Braden Lindsay. Hopefully that means he can have a great fall. If that if that happens, if there's sort of like a if A then B scenario, then then the offense can can do some things and be creative. Um, but you know Kelly's sort of admission, like the offense has to change and evolve. Um, you know that Nick Saban is essentially right mm-hmm. that good offense beats good defense these days. Um, but you can't just snap your fingers and it happens. That's not just like a, well, let's just change our playbook. Um, you have to have the players to do it. Um, you know, if Lindsay is Lindsay and keys need to be that player this year. And then beyond that, that's when you get into sort of the Lorenzo styles, Dion Colsey, um, maybe CJ Williams or Tobias Merriweather, who they're recruiting right now. Um, those are, those are the kinds of players that they, they will need down the road. But there's, there's certainly at least a like, all right, we can be a power run team first, but without the ability to like beat you on the outside one-on-one and take some vertical shots, and there's there's only so much you can do. I know me and you have talked about this before. I'm not sure if we've done it on the show, but it reminds me a little bit of one of his early lines when he got hired at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, that is saying something to the effect of like, you can fake it on offense a little bit early on, but like you can't fake it on defense. And yeah. I think the... the Threading the needle on that one. Well, it's definitely changed, but I think threading the needle on that one and reading between the lines and knowing what we know about the sport of college football now, one, there's a healthy arrogance to that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Brian Kelly's had a phenomenal coaching career, and it's advanced pretty far Mm -hmm. based on getting by the way he has. But there's, you know, he was the offensive guru when he got to Notre Dame, and he was going to do this, this, and this. And I think there was a sense of, like, I could just give me 11 guys and I'll figure it out. Um, which, hey, he, he did a pretty good job of early in his career. But as Nick Saban and really everyone in college football has shown you this late in the game, there's no doing that anymore. Like, Notre Dame 
got tougher and more physical than Alabama. They outrushed Alabama in the playoff this year, eight years after not even being able to fall forward against those guys. And it doesn't matter because you just don't have the, the first-round talent on the outside the way Alabama does. And yeah. you can out-coach people to go from 6-6 six and six to 10-2. and two. You can't just out-coach people to go from – 11 and 1 or, or 12 and 0 to a playoff team to a playoff win. Like, there's just no amount of coaching brain power is ever going to account for the difference in talent that actually hits you in the face when you get to that level. Like, it's just yeah. real. Well, I mean, Notre like, Dame's of, hoping to be on the doorstep of that. Right. I mean, one of the reasons that Notre Dame has won uh, 24 straight games against unranked teams. I think it's right, or it's 32. Better players and better coaches. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so when they run into teams with coaches who, I'm not saying like Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are like miles ahead of Brian Kelly, but like clearly these are like the elite coaches in the sport, or Urban Meyer when they ran into him at uh, Fiesta Bowl in 2015. But the rosters that those guys have are better as well. So it's like if you're if you're a better coach with a better roster, you're going to beat the team with an inferior coach and inferior roster this is kind of what happens when you run into Clemson, Alabama at full strength. You're running into much better rosters. Um, and even if coaching is even at that point, like you're still at a significant disadvantage. And so like trying to wipe that out. And that was, I, I continue to find Marcus Freeman really refreshing uh, for my talk with him yesterday about, I asked him like, how much do you lean into like the Alabama Clemson gap versus, hey, we've won 43 games over the last four years. And he said, the Alabama Clemson, that is my number one recruiting pitch. Number one, like with no hesitation. And I think it, like the self awareness and self confidence that it takes to like lean into something like that, I think is significant uh, because I think that there are a lot of people at at Notre Dame and just every other school where it's like, where there's like the exceptionalism, exceptionalism takes over and you can't sort of have the self-awareness to sort of see where you fit in the pecking order and then recruit to that to try to climb higher. Um, and I, I think that Freeman's ability to lean into that is really good. Cause I mean, you and I know there, there are people in the Goob that are like, Hey, you know, why don't, why don't we get more credit for the 43 wins? And it's like, well, if you're trying to win championships, it's, it's about beating Alabama. It's about being Clemson at full strength. And like, I think to recruit to that, to lean into that in recruiting, I think is very significant. Did Marcus give you any details as far as like how you lean into that? It's just as far as like, Hey, we're two. If he's in the room with a receiver, are we two of you guys away from winning a national championship? Like, how, how do you, how's that work in the room? I'm you know, sure. it's that I didn't. I didn't get into like sort of okay. Do you put on the tape of the game and say like this is where we needed you to make a play, even though you're a high school kid? I I don't think that it's that specific. I think it's more. I think they lean into we've made the playoff twice. Only five teams have made the playoff twice, but we need to get closer to the Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. Um, I think just sort of talking about that, not shying away from the fact that, you know, the Rose Bowl in Dallas will was like moderately competitive for a little bit, but clearly you knew which team was going to win when the game started. Um, I just I just don't think that they shy away from that. There's not just like, hey, we made the playoff, and please don't ask us what happened when we got there. Um that they're they're comfortable in their own skin enough to sort of talk it through and 
explain to these kids like, hey, here's how you can make the difference. Because I, I do think like, I mean, they can, I think sort of them making the argument that they're close, that they're a few players away, it's totally reasonable. Um, I'm not saying that they're a few players away from like winning it all or doing to Alabama what Alabama did to them, but I don't think that they're that far away from going into a game against Alabama or Clemson and being four-point underdogs. You know, I mean, how how different would this conversation be if Notre Dame had lost to Alabama 27-24? It'd be different. Uh, I that's that didn't. Ha- it's hard to imagine that. Yeah, I just like saw how I that. Mean, imagine either of the Georgia games transposed as a playoff yeah. game. That yeah, no, it would be different. And he, I, I, regardless, I, I I agree with you. I, I think selling themselves as being on that doorstep is the way to go. Like they didn't have any first round picks this year, and that roster was. Larger responsible for two playoff berths. Yeah. If we get a few more first round picks, I mean, I'm just using a random example here. Um, think about what we can do. And the other part of it too, you got to you got to speak the language of whatever room you're in. Obviously, Alabama's got all the bells and whistles of the national championships, and you're going to go to the White House and you're going to do this. Like you're, you're going to win a national title if you go to Alabama. They can pretty much guarantee you that at this point. But shoot, you win a national championship in Notre Dame. You imagine how much your life changes. Yeah, like what that would mean. Uh, so I mean, and they're not far. I mean, th- there's a gap. There is a gap, but they're they're in the playoff every other year at this point. Um, yeah, I- I'm with you. I'm with Marcus Freeman. Like, lean into that. We are close, and m- maybe the cards align for you one year. I don't know, but like, I, I don't think you should shy away from what you're trying to, to accomplish here. I mean, you can pat yourself on the back for going for, for winning 43 games over the last four years, but um, definitely the, like this is, I think it's doable. I've always felt that. And despite everything that happened on the field last year in the playoff, I still feel that way. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that jumped out. I thought the, um, the, the, the reference to Brian Van Gorder definitely was like, Whoa, I didn't see that one coming. That's Yes. <laughs> You said it, not me. I did not. When he said this team reminds me of 14, I can't say that was like waking up the echoes and rallying the troops. But the the last answer, obviously, you know, calling out Oklahoma by name was interesting. Curious if Lincoln Riley or anyone there has anything to say about that. <laughs> but the uh, as far as the substance and as far as comfortable in your own skin and, hey, we're all aligned here, so there's less teeth pulling and we all know what we're about here. Um Mentioning Max Siegel calling out first-year classes and helping to organize the Juneteenth rally. Like, you can't do that. You can't say that to Pete Sampson in an interview publicly if you're not a 12th-year head coach who's won a lot of games and pleased a lot of people there. Yep. Like, you just can't. And that, you know, in an indirect way is, is almost validating as well because, like, hey, University of Notre Dame, here is all the good – our football program is doing for the university and what a bright light we're shining upon everything we're doing here and how we're affecting change. And we're not just there to fill up a stadium and make some money every mm-hmm. Saturday. Um, that to me was, I, I'm glad they leaned into it. Cause I did not think, I know last year was crazy for every reason imaginable. I did not think they leaned into that publicly nearly enough, given how successful and frankly stirring a lot of what they did was. Yeah. And it's, um, there was a lot of substance to that. 
Um, I went to that rally. I remember Max Siegel kind of struggling public speaking, as Brian Kelly referenced, sort of for the first time, um, like making important points, but like being in front of a crowd was a unique challenge and like, you know, kind of some personal growth there. I, and I, I don't know how you feel, but as I sort of see, saw Juneteenth as like a social media phenomenon for college football programs, you never really knew like, okay, who's in it and who's not like, who's sort of checking the box on social media. I mean, sure. I hate to like call out Florida State for like their MLK, MLK day yeah. with like him wearing seminal gloves. You're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, don't just do this stuff to say that you did it. Um, so I thought that it was substantive that Kelly brought up Max Siegel and like actually changing academic curriculum at Notre Dame because of some of the things that he said um, and like empowering the player to be a part of that. Like, it's like the idea of a, a Notre Dame football player being in a position to affect how Notre Dame uh, curriculum works. I, do, I don't think I could overstate how important that would be um, yes. because this place, I mean, you think they take football seriously? Um, <laughs> you just start checking the syllabus um, and sort of that aspect of this place is I don't want to say untouchable, but it feels that way. Um, and the, the fact that a, a football player could get up and be like, no, this is, you know, we need to change. We need to evolve. And then Notre Dame was like, okay, is that that's like a real change. Um, and I think that for Notre Dame to sort of lean into that recruiting, to sort of lean into something that, you know, could be uncomfortable. Uh, you know, Brian Kelly, I thought, did a nice job of, of handling that last year. Um, just like, Admitting I, I didn't know what Juneteenth was before, um, you know, this sort of movement happened. Like, I, I think adding that to the recruiting is is important. Um, and I, I don't know. I was I was sort of impressed by that part of it. Brian Kelly, or excuse me, Rick, Jack Swarbrick mentioned that to me as well when we spoke a few months ago. Um, just about you know, he said like his evolution on matters of racial justice in this country mirrors the evolutions of him as a coach just as far as recognizing he needed to do more and being pretty upfront with his players in the public about that. Uh, and I'm with you. I mean, this is a recruiting game. This is a PR game. A lot of people post a lot of stuff on social media every holiday and couldn't tell you anything about any of it. And you had a great story um, last year as well, I think talking to Dalen Hayes yeah. about like how the players were like, can we stop posting a 60-year-old photo of – of Father Hesburgh with Dr. <laughs> King. Like, that, that just can't be our only currency in the social justice department. We need to actually start doing stuff. And it it takes a lot of clout and, and substance to, like, stand up to – not stand up to, but but to, to make your voice heard and to create a difference at a place as entrenched in its ways as, as Notre Dame. So and I think having a guy like Max Siegel in some ways is more validating than having, like, an Ian Book do it. Like, yeah. he's a walk-on, right? Like, these people's voices matter here just as much as a star quarterback. And – you're going to have a chance to make a difference on and off the field and with that diploma, no matter what you do for us here. So as far as football, so um, I'm glad they leaned into that because I hate to make it about recruiting, but if you're an 18 year old kid looking who's serious about this stuff and not just trying to be three and out, um, I mean, Notre Dame has put on a tremendous pitch, I think publicly about what you can do there. Yeah, no, I, t I totally agree with that. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, I don't know if there's anything else that really sort of stood out from the Q and A, other than just like the recruit going the Dabble Sweeney route with the house on campus. Oh yeah, no, that uh, I was because I, I I mean I knew that was a rule, um, like Mac Brown's doing it at North Carolina. Um, I wasn't sure how much Brian Kelly would be like, yes, more recruits at my house, please. Yes. Um, but I, I do think it's a, I mean, it's a smart outpost. Um, if you walked around Notre Dame just, uh, just south of the main gates, it's pretty easy to pick out which house it is. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think that's kind of a shrewd move um, for however long he's the head coach here. And who knows, whoever, the head coach who follows him may like, you know, also be on the 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 title indeed for that too so you can take I'm advantage pretty of it. sure Clemson did that or plans to do something like that's Dabo's mansion is like the Clemson head coach house like when he retires I think whoever succeeds him will yeah move into that so I'm curious I don't know if you'd want to do that as a new coach succeeding either one of those guys <laughs> to be honest because <laughs> you don't want to be the guy who succeeds a guy you want to be the guy who succeeds a guy who succeeds yeah. a guy and if everyone knows where you live and it's right by the dorms. Well, those those for sale signs are pretty easy to make after you yes. lose your opening. Yeah, yeah, it definitely definitely could be an issue down the road. I, I don't know if for sale sign. It's like, do people still do that? Like, is that is that still a thing? Well, in Florida, in Florida, they do like the banners, right? Like yeah, fire golden or fire Willie. Um, but you do a banner when you probably can't get to a guy's house, and if everyone knows where his house is, I don't know. Not giving anyone any ideas here, but <laughs> I think this is all like an open. An open yeah, discussion. Suddenly, this is my last one-on-one with Brian Kelly. Thanks for <laughs> that. No. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that it'll be interesting. Was, I, I remember talking to Brock Wright about this last year when the house was being built because he lived just down the street and he was like, "Yeah, we're it's going to be breakfast at BK. We're just going to walk by, <laughs> stop, you know, go in, get something to eat, um, continue on to class." So it, uh, I, I think it just sort of goes back to what we talked at the beginning of the show, like the integration of Brian Kelly in the Notre Dame community is is not an insignificant thing. Um, cause in 2012, when it was like, are you going to stay or are you going to go? The fact that you could get to this point now is, I don't think it should be taken for granted that we're here. No. And you know, I went on with our friend Ralph Russo a couple weeks ago with the AP top 25 college football podcast. And Ralph said something to that effect. He's like, I, you know, I feel like us, the media have a much deeper kind of appreciation for what Brian Kelly's done there than maybe the fan base does. And I think you're slowly starting to realize like, you're going to appreciate him a lot more when he's not here because the next guy probably isn't going to be as good. Like, it would take a lot to be better than Brian Don't Kelly. Don't cast right those like, kind of aspersions Nick, on Clark Nick, Lee. Nick, Nick Saban. Uh, <laughs> the Vanderbilt football pod coming to you this fall on The Athletic. Um, but, like, Ralph said that. He's just like, it just seems like he's almost like a man without a country, so to speak, as far as, like, he's just never uh, – I wouldn't say he's never ingratiated himself to the fan base or, or the student body, but like, yeah, we never. I never thought we'd be talking about him building a house on campus a few blocks from where he's going to work every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always kind. Of, he's he's been as you said as as private a public person as can possibly be. And Jack Sorbick said to me like, he's he's 
maintain a very healthy amount of personal space, which is damn near impossible to do when you're in the spotlight the way he is. But it's worked because it's kept his mental health in check. It's kept everyone's mental health in check. And he's going into year 12 as good as he's ever been. Yeah. No, it's uh, the, the program is in an interesting spot. Like, And I didn't – maybe I should have asked it, but it's kind of a – I don't know, kind of a clickbaity question of like, how much longer do you like? Do you think you're coach past twenty twenty four? But I don't know. I mean, he's in a spot where I, I think the the way he sort of answered it in the sense of like, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I feel good, as long as my message resonates, like, why wouldn't I want to keep going? You know, I mean, the subtext is like, why wouldn't I want to keep making major bank um, and being like essentially one of the leaders in college in the college football space, like. I don't I think probably two contracts ago when he extended like it was there was with an end date in mind and I you know I think Notre Dame could you know in an ideal world get to like a Muffet McGraw situation where like Brian Kelly retires and the next day there's a new a new head coach uh, I don't know if it will work that well in college football the way it does in women's basketball but um I I don't I don't feel like Brian Kelly is looking for um looking at an expiration date on his time at Notre Dame right now. My philosophy on all of those conversations, not just at Notre Dame, but at college athletics in general, when will you, when will it be it for you? Who will succeed you? Has been completely flipped on its head, I think, <clears throat> after seeing this past college basketball cycle, and I know it's a different sport, but how many years, how, many, how much podcast space has been devoted to like who will ever succeed Roy Williams and Coach K? And at the end of the day, they just picked the right-hand guys, neither of whom I think were on anyone's like t- – like John Shire just missed out on the T'Pol job a few months ago, and now he's succeeding Coach right. K. Like I just don't – we can make a list and make up a timeline and do everything the way everyone does right now. At the end of the day, it's all going to be dictated by the circumstances of that moment, and it's probably going to happen because of something unforeseen. Well, I mean – Or Brian Kelly waking up one day and just saying, you know what, I'm done. Well, I mean, what about Lincoln Riley succeeding Bob Stoops or Ed Orgeron succeeding Les Miles or Dabo Sweeney? Ryan Day. Yeah, Dabo Sweeney. Ryan Day. I mean, none of those guys, with the exception of Riley, I think, but the other three would not have made, I think, anyone's top five hit list of successors at the at the programs where they were. Day and Riley – were kind of wonderkins who yeah, Day, you knew good when point they were, on daily. I, on well, day, he yeah. he coached him interim when Urban yeah. got suspended. I mean, he, he had he came from the NFL. Those two, I mean, they were younger too. Dabo, no, like everyone was laughing at that guy. Everyone was laughing at that guy's first three or four years there before he really got them going. And all those guys, all four of them, actually, now I take that back. Two of them were position coaches too. They weren't even like coordinators, mm-hmm. um, so they really came out of left field. But yeah, no, no one would have drawn that. I mean, Lincoln Riley interviewed with Notre Dame that yeah. same year. He went to um, East Carolina. As good as he is, he would not be the head coach at Notre Dame or Oklahoma no. that soon had that happened. Um, but again, when you've, I don't know the specifics of Ohio state. I don't think urban Meyer had a say in Ryan day getting it or a big say. Um, when you're Bob Stoops, when you're Brian Kelly, when you, you're coach K, when you've established yourself, at a uh, at a place that big and know what you're about and know your personnel, like you've earned that right to at least have a say. And like Bob Stoops has said, like I felt comfortable stepping down in June because I knew the program wasn't going to fall apart without yeah. me. Um, 
that's a big part of it. I mean, is Dean Smith's legacy ruined by picking his his successor and it not working out all that great? No, no one remembers that. If John Shire is a flop at Duke, guess what? They have a new athletic director who's going to be able to make her own hire and they can start all over yeah. again and that will be that. Like, I'm not putting Brian Kelly in that airspace just yet. I think you have to win a national championship to really have that like bronzing of you. But, you know, he's assuming everyone stays clean um, and like he's going out on his own terms. Yeah, I, I could see him being influential in this process, as, as influential as an institution like Notre Dame will allow a head football coach to be. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I, I think that he will be influential, Like, and I think Notre Dame will probably welcome it in some ways. Uh, I mean, especially if Jack Swarbrick is still on the job, which I think he's sort of at his own. He's sort of, I think he's referenced, like, if COVID hadn't happened, he may have already um, – you know, retired at this point, but really, huh. Barry Alvarez said that. Yeah, he did do that. <laughs> we'll see, but it also picked his successor. Yeah, <laughs> he was his own successor at some point, but well, that too. Um, yeah, that that will be a conversation for another day. But yeah, Brian Kelly, uh, pretty insightful Q and A, I thought. And if you're not a subscriber on the Athletic, if you want to check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Athletic. Be a great sales job on a Twitter user last night. Oh, it thank works. you. Yes. Um, yeah, the person was like, I can't. I can't subscribe I need to, win to the lottery. I'm like, what $36 lottery tickets are you buying? Um, theathletic.com slash the shamrock, $3.99 a month. Uh, all sorts of good college football coverage um, of some stuff with Tommy Reese, some stuff with Marcus Freeman. Um, recruiting insights from June go up on Wednesday morning, sort of a kind of a what I'm hearing um, after talking to sources in the Goog. I think people will enjoy that. So, yeah, college football is, I think we're officially back now. I mean, July, July 1st. July when, is like when, a... When Kyle Hamilton is getting a paid guest spot on the Shamrock Thursday. I'm not saying that's, that's, that's not, not going that's to That's not happen. actually... I'm not saying that's happening, but that yeah. would be cool. But I'm not saying uh, that won't happen either. Maybe we'll get Max Siegel. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> All sorts of possibilities. I don't know what our budget is. So until we return uh, in July, we'll have a handful of, uh, handful of episodes. And I think probably a couple guests i am i've learned not to tease who they are because sometimes it all falls apart but i just got the bi- autobiography of one of them who bailed on us last year and it's not been so long. okay yes but we have been approved for a couple guests that uh, i think our listeners will enjoy um, a couple people we referenced today during the podcast so until then he's matt fortuna i'm pete sampson thing thanks for being with us on the latest so latest episode of the shamrock mm-hmm.